Good evening, good citizens. My name is Clifford Brooks, and this is Dante's Old South, the program featuring gifted artists from all over the country, captured in a bell jar and bursting with fresh ideas. The story of poets, mathematicians, novelists, teachers, magicians, landscapers, musicians. Art is life lived well. It's good to see you. And I pray y'all are safe and healthy. Before we launch into tonight's show, let's listen to Mr. Soul from D.L. Yancey II. Sometimes in life, you just fall in love with the wrong one. But love itself doesn't hurt. But what does is the realization that what love built fails to meet your initial design. Now, there's an emptiness in your heart. From the space you've cleared for her to feel. <laughs> but God works in mysterious ways. Because sometimes that girl you dream for has to fade. So the girl you need can become your dream. Every day 
of Dante's Old South. Before we begin, let me remind you to please show your support for Autism Speaks and WUTC NPR. First up this evening, we have Melissa Studdard, poet, professor, and advocate, as well as R.J. Jeffries, poet, editor, and the most humble man to know everyone famous on the planet Earth. Y'all, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How about you, RJ? How are you doing? Very well, sirs. Thank you so much. What an honor and privilege to join you here tonight and to be with Melissa Studdard. I am blessed. <laughs> I, I do feel uh, overly blessed this evening with two great folks here um, at the same time. And it's a great time to do it uh, because poetry is changing. I always start off with an with extremely topical subject, and that being COVID. The coronavirus has brought out new material, and I think um, an enormous amount of new inspiration to get our heads around this and where are we going to go, what are we doing now to make this better for everybody. In your own careers, how has the, how has the coronavirus changed, altered, or somehow um, enhanced your careers? Do you want to start, Melissa? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I think I would start by um, talking about the poetry itself while I think about <laughs> if it hasn't had any impact on my career. But um, in terms of poetry, I think that uh, it has made it to where I, I feel that uh, as humans, we're all living through a shared experience that um, doesn't often happen exactly like this. Um, and at the same time though, it's a shared but separate experience. So it's a really unique and unusual thing that the people in our time period are living through. And I think that makes it very ripe for poetic expression because it's a time when we can write things that um, just, it, we can all deeply connect to what each other is writing during this time and people who aren't writers are finding poetry in new ways because they're at home and um, their uh, workloads have changed and um, they're they're looking to people's words for inspiration and for ways to connect and how to get through this. And so I'm just really grateful to have poetry in my life and to be a poet at this time. Um, so, I mean, to me, that's the most important thing about what COVID had or how COVID has impacted 
my poetic life. I did also do a collaborative poetry series with a friend of mine, Kelly Russell Agadon, that um, has been just sort of a blessing too, because it was a way of connecting during this time. And um, a, a lot of people have, I think, found some comfort in those poems. I've, I've actually, I know exactly what you're talking about, Melissa. And, and with, with your poetry, it, it, I've said this before, it's, it's like watching a surgeon go to work and the fact that you get the words cut down just above the bone, but not so close that the marrow gets away from the meaning. And in the new work, and Kelly kind of, it, it mirrors that same. I, I can see why it's such a natural kind of cohesion for you two. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the name of that? How can folks find that collection? Because I'll forget in two seconds if I don't ask you now. Like, how, how can oh, people sure. find it? Oh, it, sure. It's called the Daily Wave Series. And we were posting it on Instagram for a while, and then we started just publishing the poems. I think uh, Stanford University has a, a website for people experiencing COVID, and there are some poems there. There are some at the Seattle Review of Books, uh, Berfreus, um, a few other places. And there was a really great um, PBS, uh, NPR-type uh, um, just uh, sort of report on it done by Catherine Liu, who's an amazing, amazing um, uh, radio personality here in Houston. So Awesome. So, RJ, how's this, how's this affected your life, boss? Um, I find myself to be busier than I ever was pre-COVID, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> but I found we're, we're you know, a global community now, but I found with COVID, almost ironically, that it's, it's even more of a tight-knit community, mm-hmm. um, especially with my peers, colleagues, collaborators. I found, you know, once in a while over the years when Zoom became, you know, there was Zoom and Skype and you do a reading once in a while. Now they're every day. I can go to one every day or host one every day. Mm-hmm. Working with Javina Barber Press, um, we had a 50-year celebration, anniversary celebration over the summer and hosted um, 57 poetry readings in a row with over 150 poets. And that was busy, but an amazing experience. You know, and it was, it was SRO. You know, Zoom, I think, gives you 100 people. They were standing room only, 100 people every event. Wow. So it, it, it's, it's a way for us, I found on the deepest level, a marrow level, that I'm connecting with people who, you know, not just are, are poets, and in, in the arts, but people that just feel connected to that and feel connected to others through it, who would join in and, and, and you know, bring themselves there and ask a question and just be fascinated. So I found myself encircled in this giant audience of lovers from around the world. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a wonderful opportunity, which taking such a catastrophic event, which seems to continue ad finitum, ad nauseum, and turning it to something culturally just astonishing. I feel more connected, ironically, now than I think I may have did a year ago, in my field and in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's funny that it's not funny. It is a, a connective tissue, I think, between a lot of writers. When I when I hear um, artists say, "Well, I'm an introvert," well, I think we all are that create because we need a huge bubble of shut up time. And I edited that. I have a whole mother swear word version that we'll say not on NPR. <laughs> But um, it, it, we need that 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 insular insulary time, and 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 I've I've talked to friends who are who are writers and other artists, and there's this same kind of feeling of almost guilt, like I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I've I've really been able to pull inside 
And it's, it's, the, it's the fear that all of this has kind of created um, that we see so much in its negative form on the news that I think the art world takes and tries to put a positive spin on it to keep people sane. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Melissa? Um, I, I think you're right. And I, I kind of want to also address something that Jeff said too, which is this idea of being busier than he's ever been before. And I, as soon as he mentioned that, I started wondering about you, Cliff, and if it's been the same way for you, because I, I hear everybody say that. I mean, they're like, okay, so now I should have less to do, but it's more and more and more. And yes, the positive side of that is being connected and um, trying to, as you said, uh, keep ourselves and others uh, mentally and emotionally healthy through this. Um, but also, you know, the downside is like, how can anybody be this busy? <laughs> <laughs> without leaving the house hardly at all and without getting together in person. So um, I, I just, I think it's a really interesting time and I am grateful for the arts as a way to um, sort of compost something that's so negative and grow something beautiful out of it. Now, talking about beautiful, and I've been hung up on this, and I am insanely jealous of your book's cover, the new one, Melissa. Tell us about the, 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 your most recent release. Oh, thank you. Yes, that is uh, like a bird with a thousand wings. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I was incredibly lucky to find the artist for that. My publisher, Ron Starbuck found her. Um, I had gotten sort of obsessed with the idea of finding a bird, an image of a bird that was made up of a lot of smaller birds. So basically it's like the birds are flying together um, and it's a bunch of individual words, but I mean birds, I'm sorry, but they're all also the same bird. Yeah. <laughs> so he found that. But the book was done in collaboration with a composer, Christopher Theophanides, and he wrote the the music, their short character pieces based on the valleys in Conference of the Birds, if you're familiar with that ancient Sufi text. Mm. And um, it was being performed by the Argus Quartet, which is a really wonderful musical group. And they wanted some sort of text to go with it. And they had the idea of poems. So he contacted me and asked me if I would write the poems to be performed immediately before each of the short pieces. And I did that. And then it just started growing into a little book. It's a chat book. And I have to agree with you. My, my publisher does the most amazing job of making every book just physically a beautiful object. <laughs> so... It is, and 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 RJ. I mean, it, it, you you know have seen some of the the more the production side of things as well. And and when I look at books, you can't judge a book by its cover when you're talking about people. But with actual literal books, the way it's put together in a bookstore, you know this. If it's faced out, and you get somebody to stop and just go, "What's that?" Out of all the thousands of books in there, whether or not they buy it, you've almost got it half done. You know, mm-hmm. um, and there's that. And and RJ. I mean, when. You put together your your read the, these reading groups. You know, again, the, the hundred you know standing room only. Uh, this is something I love to t- to tap into on this show. Is like, how do you make the business art work? Give us a little bit of like the the workings that you feel comfortable sharing. Um, how you promote, produce, and get this show out there to have so many people show up. What's your secret, man? 
Um, it's it's kind of a thing that I just didn't just do for Javina. I I go all in for anything I involve myself with with author to author the wonderful interviews I do for Author Magazine with Bill Canauer, the incredible Bill Canauer, um, and to Ferret Journal and. Uh, no wonder I'm I'm tired. I do. I, do I, I feel but, so lazy right now. I'm like I don't do anything. Yeah, you know, I'm going to tell you really what it is. It's a way for me to. I don't want to say avoid, but I, I've not been one to bang my own drum a lot. I'm getting better at it, but it's a way for me to invest in something that I'm totally engaged in, in love with, and that's others' works and works I respect and the person I respect, and so it's able. I'm able to just get so engaged in it that I'm like, okay, I'm going all in and I'm going to produce this. I'm going to get the material out there. I'm going to do the PR work for it. So it's just, it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's really easy for me is I enjoy it so much. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I heard when I was younger, you, you never, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm. I used to think that makes no sense. Everything is this huge effort. And when, but, I found out now midway through life that, you know, it's absolutely true, but there's that word work that people get afraid of. And I'm not trying to scare anybody away from the field, but when you, when this laughs, I'm really not. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's to be, I think that if there was a more realistic teaching of literature and, and not to, not to dissuade anybody from doing it, but just being more realistic about there's a lot of road work to do and, mm -hmm. and, and prepping to do. And then when you get that book contract, that's the first big step. But then I've seen so many go, now where's my million dollars? And like it's out there on the road. You know, you have to market yourself. And, and both of y'all do such a fantastic job of promoting yourselves and being honest and not getting too deep into theories and ideas and emotions, but just keeping it purely professional. And I do believe, and again, I don't flatter. I say this, I think in every show that I do, I think flattery is just the only socially acceptable way to lie. <laughs> um, I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of that too if this could be on my tombstone y'all I'd appreciate don't that don't lie to us <laughs> no you're so special no it, it's uh it, no I mean what, what drew me to both of y'all um was the fact that 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 you didn't you didn't puke up your souls but you felt like you had a common ground with you guys you know it, it brings in a um an accessibility into poetry and the arts through the, the human experience that both of you capture so well. Uh, and I admire it and, and try to actually emulate it with both of y'all. Um, we're about to run out of time here, but um, I'd like to tie up with a question I love asking artists in this time, especially that's frightening, that's got everybody on edge. Let, um, let's, let's start with you. What do you think is our responsibility as an artist to the people? I think it's, it sort of echoes what you were just saying, which is the idea that we need to truly reach into ourselves. And I, I don't want to say unafraid because you can't really control what you're afraid of, but be maybe uninhibited about sharing that and knowing that even though sometimes it might feel uncomfortable, uh, whatever you're going through and experiencing is something that can help someone else um, at the creative level. Um, at the professional level, I think it's doing what you and Jeff are doing, which is being completely supportive of, of other artists. And um, you mentioned earlier about how Jeff 
promotes other people. And Jeff, you were talking about how uncomfortable you are promoting yourself. So I'm just going to say, Jeff has a really great book that's about to come out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just because I know he won't say it. I, I think, you know, just showing up and being there for other people and uh, showing up and being there for your art and uh, being as honest and true as you can. I love it. Now, RJ, if Melissa didn't do it, I was going to do it. Let's start first. I want you to talk about this book you're into because I will make sure you're promoted. So let's start with your book first and then how you feel about the artist's responsibility. Well, it's, it's a poetry chapbook, and I'm so blessed to have Trevina Barber Press and uh, Gloria Mindock, the publisher and friend and mentor, uh, that's going to be publishing that hopefully by the uh, end of the fall, early winter. I'm excited about that. Um, Melissa's been instrumental in getting me to this point. We've collaborated, we've worked on each other's manuscripts for over a decade. She will look at my line, she'll look, I'll send her a 10 stanza poem, and she'll pinpoint like a laser beam, specific word or line and say, an asterisk and say, not sure about that, and she'll be right on. Mm -hmm. And it's happened every time for over a decade. <laughs> which I'm so blessed and grateful for. But yeah, Melissa, so, and also um, a book of essays, and I think the working title is going to be uh, writing from a, Writings from a Writer's Mind and Heart, something like that. It's going to be maybe 10 or so essays from a number of writers who I respect as prose writers and essayists, just kind of speaking about these times, speaking about what's going on. And just kind of again connecting people to this to these to their words and to their pieces. Hopefully it's a universality. We'll see. And Melissa said the operative word and it's honest. Mm -hmm. Just be honest with yourself, mm -hmm. be honest with others, be authentic, and always be unconditional. If you have an agenda, keep it at home. If you <laughs> want to do something for someone, do it because you want to do it, not because you expect somebody in kind. And passing that on that becomes a positive infection. That's something I want to keep and have and last a lifetime. It's essential. It is, it, and that's, it, it, that's the perfect answer for our responsibility. I mean, I, I've, always, I've always thought like, if you want to lie, write fiction. Um, <laughs> because the people do, you know, it, 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 there's so much I want to talk to you guys about. I'll have to have you back on. It, it, it's so invigorating. It, it's it's the, the support and, the, and the, the hammering on honesty and giving. And RJ, what you just said about supporting because you believe in them, not because you want them to support you. When you come in with that energy, that synergy is naturally there, you know, and it's the honesty that both of you are two of the most real individuals I have ever met. And I would I, say the same for you too. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. I cannot. So supportive of other writers with everything you do. Your Blue Mountain Review magazine is just, it's, Glorious. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Love that magazine. Collective, all the things you Cliff, because you was I you suffer the similar fates. You don't bang your drum enough. And so I'm gonna do that for you as well, my friend. Mm -hmm. Wonderful work. Y'all are better than antidepressants. I should have called y'all earlier. <laughs> I feel so much better about life now. Y'all, this has been so much fun. And I thank you for coming on Dante's Old South. And I promise to have y'all on again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Awesome. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. And next up on Dante's Old South, we have poet, queen of memoir, veteran, and youth advocate, Rebecca Evans. Rebecca, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have you on and to jump in with both feet. 
would like to follow the same theme as our previous guest, and I will begin with, how are you creating during the coronavirus? With a struggle. Um, I have three children remotely learning from home, so I feel like I'm going back and forth solving um, 11-year-old math problems that I don't know how to do and then trying to finish a sentence um, in revision. And it feels a little crazy. It feels fairly chaotic, and I feel most days unproductive. But I just make a list of things I need to get done artistically and try to check it off and feel okay with whatever I can get done. Now, you're working on another MFA now, and so does that program help you stay on track? Tell us about that. I love I love deadlines, and one of my goals with doing a second MFA was to continue a very disciplined writing habit, mm-hmm. and I think um, that forced me into continuing to study so that once I graduate again and again and again, I'll continue not just writing but studying craft, and I wanted to make sure I like solidified that in my life. Now, where are you going to school now? Sierra Nevada University. So it's a um, low residency MFA. Right now it's a no residency MFA. Um, but I, I love the program because it's, I think, one of the most beautiful cultural communities as far as the type of writers they develop, um, really writers giving back to the world. Now, as you have multiple MFAs, uh, you do wear several hats in the literary world. You write memoir extraordinarily well. Um, Tell us how you overcome the fear of vulnerability as you write your story. I really want to say like I drink heavily, but (laughs) 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 that might be some of it. I I think there's several things that I've tried to learn to do to get vulnerable on the page because it's terrifying to face your own demons and then put them in words. Initially, uh, I'm writing something very challenging. I will approach it in third person as if it's not me. And, um, or I've even written from something else in the room. Like I I wrote this one piece from the perspective of the walls of what was happening, because I just couldn't get close to it interiorly with myself. And then in revision, I could start getting closer. Sometimes I just can't, like there's places in my memoir where the walls tell the story because it's too hard to tell. And that's okay. Um, And then another thing that I do is I try to write, um, if I have a scene that's difficult and maybe something is happening to me from another human that's not kind, that's, you know, traumatic, I will write from the perspective of that other person and try to find a place of sympathy in their life. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not... um, making a monster out of the other character, but they're human with their own story. I don't I don't include any of that in the final piece, but it helps me gain some compassion um, towards the whole situation and maybe more truth. And then the third thing I do is once I'm doing that, once I'm writing in first person or once I'm really trying to develop that scene or that moment in history for myself, I write as if no one will ever read it. If I write that way, then there's no fear. And right. there is a lot of my writing that no one will ever read. And it helped me figure out me, which was the point in my writing it to begin with, right? Yeah. And you bring up a fascinating point um, about writing for the love of it and not to get published. Um, I never thought about that with memoir, that it makes it makes truth easier. If you don't, at every point and every turn, think, how am I gonna be judged about this? How am I gonna be judged about that? How am I gonna be judged about this? 
And it also shows the true writer in you that that's not really the goal, that the, the doing of it is what's important and not what people think. Now, to take off the memoir hat and put on another, you also write poetry. What drew you to that art form? Poets are gods in the world of writing. Like, I, I wanted to be able to take the ideas and distill them down to the minimal, beautiful language that poets use and connect with the world in a larger way. And I think poets, poets do that. They do that in the most masterful, most difficult way. And I thought, if I'm gonna call myself a writer, I better be a poet. And, um, and so I, I took it seriously. Like I want to master the craft and I think you can't really master it unless, unless you study poetry and infuse that in your writing. It does make you a better writer, especially in revision. Revision. I love this part of the conversation. My feeling about it is that editing and revision are as important as writing the first draft, if They're not more so. More I see. <laughs> how do you how do you edit? Um, I love revision, actually. Um, I, I'm kind of a freak that way. And I I think revision is where the art comes in. Like, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it's um, it's it's like an athletic training event. You know, you can get yourself in shape for the events. You can work out, you know, for months and months and months or even years. People write and work on a project for years. When you go in to revise, that is the event. That is what you've been training for. That is where you bring out your very best. And to me, when I'm in revision, I'm like, does every line, is every line my best line? If it stood all by itself, is that the perfect word and the only word that can work there? And is this only my story to tell? If it's already been told by someone else, why is my story my story? Why am I the one to tell this story? So I'm asking myself those three questions when I revise. And I show up with a scalpel and I have no problem like cutting, erasing, deleting, moving. Um, I really detach from the work as a human and attach to it as an artist and just start sculpting. And, um, and I, I love it because I'm always surprised how things turn out or how badly they turn out. I have lots of things that I'm like, I hate what happened to this. Right. <laughs> and I don't do any, you know, that gets set aside. And I'm like, that was good training. Won't be using that for anything. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, to wrap this up, I want to touch on this specifically. You work with youth in the juvenile system. Uh, what do you do and how does that influence your writing? Oh, my goodness. Um, what do I do? Well, I, ha I created a program back in 2006 called Perfect because I think we're all perfectly designed and then we get broke along the way. And um, what I wanted to do was reach girls, high school girls, especially because they fall through the gap. Usually they're not in sports. If they're not in sports and they're not in clubs and they don't yet drive and they're struggling in their home life, they find themselves in trouble. And um, so I started working with that demographic. And after a period of time, my curriculum was being talked about and the courts started ordering the girls to come to my program here in Idaho, and it became part of their probation responsibility. I rewrite the curriculum every semester, teach them twice a year, two eight-week sessions, and I combine poetic therapy with journaling, with empowerment coaching. They hate me for the first three weeks, hate me. Um, but I think I, um, I love 
to teach them how to restory their lives. And I think that's where it really informs me as a human and a writer. I've been through a lot of trauma in my youth and I can relate to these girls and a lot of their choices. I made similar choices. And once they know that about me, the, the walls start coming down. But I, I love to share with them. Like I never read their rap sheets. I don't know why they're in my program. I give them like a free blank space to reinvent themselves. And I think it's so critical. And I think as a writer, you're constantly doing that. You're constantly reinventing yourself. You're constantly restoring yourself. You're heading in a new direction, whether you write fiction, poetry, nonfiction, screenplays, it doesn't matter. Writers are in that creative modality. And I want to teach that skill set to these girls. And I think journaling is one of the most powerful methods of therapy because you can just rip that page out and burn it. You never have to read it again, but you can purge. You can purge old stories out of your body and begin to heal and you can understand yourself. And so I am doing that in my own writing all the time. And so everything that we share in class, like I process everything with them. I share my work with them as we're you know, working and doing projects together. They hear what I have to say. And I'm like, this, this challenge for you is not going to go away. You know, I'm in my fifties and often I'll say, I, I still have body image, you know, challenges. I still worry about what people think. I still seek approval from others. Like I know you're only 15, but it doesn't go away because you're living in American society with these types of pressures. And as a female, that's going to be a challenge and you need to learn how to handle it. Um, so I think it doesn't just inform my writing, it informs my life and my life informs my writing continuous, right? It is, it is. Rebecca Evans, it has been amazing to have you on the show this month. And we're gonna have to have you back if you're up for it. I would love to, thank you for having me. And it's great talking to you and yeah, keep, keep writing. Right on, you too, thank you. Before our third and final guest comes on, let's listen to Today by White Tigers.
Last but definitely not least, we have author and podcaster, the legendary Bill Knauer. Bill, how are you doing, boss? I am doing great, Clifford. How are you doing? I cannot complain, and I could, but who would want to hear it? Uh, I like to jump in with both feet, dude. Tell us about your life. What's going on? How are you getting by in this scary time? My life right now? Uh, you know, it's funny. When I, I do this podcast, I interview writers. It's one of the things I do. And so for a long time, I'd say, you know, how you doing? Yeah, the COVID, the thing, the, and we all would say the same thing, you know, it's like, well, for a writer, being home alone all day, not that hard. And my life, honestly, hasn't changed that much um, because I do, I do coach people also one-on-one. -on -one, and so I do that virtually. I've done, I did some, uh, last two weeks ago, I was doing a, two writers conferences simultaneously because I was just zooming, you know, from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so it's doing okay. I write. I'm still writing every day. I'm doing my interviews and podcasts and coaching and teaching. So it really has not changed that much. I'm kind of a homebody. My wife works from home. Uh, that's, you know, so it just isn't that hard for me, really. I'm sorry to all of you out there who have lives <laughs> involve the out of doors but it's just not mine so it's been okay it's it, it's it's true it's and i was talking about this with uh melissa and rj at the beginning of the show that when writers heard the restrictions were like well that's life anyway for us <laughs> well we just my world to say, so, yeah, this is insane it's like well join the boat you have to be yeah. um but i will say this i will say this right i, I do think the, the good side of this is it's you know to be a writer you have to sit alone and look within for motivation, look within for inspiration. And there is nothing wrong with getting out in the world and drawing inspiration from external experiences. I, I do it too. But you can begin to mistake the source of inspiration for the outside world. And it simply isn't the case. And one of the things you have to, everybody I think has to learn to do, whether you call yourself creative or not, is Get, learn to be okay with being quiet and to hear where the inspiration comes from. And you don't want to mistake it for the outside world because the outside world will disappoint you. And what entertained you yesterday and what inspired you yesterday may not inspire you today. Whereas when you go in, that is an endless source of inspiration and motivation. So I think it's a good thing to learn for everybody whether they wanted to or not from my writer's point of view. The passion that you speak with is infectious. And we, I don't think I've ever uh, spoken to anybody directly about how they go about 
their their coaching in the literary world. What's your approach if you don't mind sharing that with us? Well, so I, like a coach, I do work with people on craft and stuff if they want it, you know, if they want to learn how to write better sentences. A lot of people that I work with are writing non narrative nonfiction and memoir, and there's a certain approach one takes to that that I help them with. But more to that, you know, I have a book out called Fearless Writing, and then I've got a book coming out in uh, May, I think it's going to be called Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt. And my focus is the emotional challenge of writing, specifically the frame of mind you have to get into in order to write. There is a specific frame of mind. You know it well, I'm sure. I think you fell into it as a young person unconsciously and probably continue to do so. But for a lot of people, they do not understand that there's the craft of writing, then there's the frame of mind. And if you're not in the frame of mind, you simply can't write, period. You can't do it. And I coach people a lot on how to get in that frame of mind, how not to be afraid of it, how to stay in it. And it's a frame of mind, frankly, you can use regardless of whether you're writing or or uh, talking to friends or lovers or whatever, but yeah. it's, a, it is, it's, it's essential for writing. Until you enter that meditative, inward looking, curious, receptive frame of mind, nothing's gonna happen. I like to quote, um, Lou Reed, the great songwriter, Lou Reed, fan, I was a fan of his, before he passed away, he was on a show with uh, Elvis Costello, another songwriter. They had a great interview show, Costello did. I think he might, maybe he still has it, I don't know. Anyway, he was asking uh, Lou Reed about songwriting. And Lou Reed said something that I thought just nailed it. He said, when a song is coming to me, I know how to write a song. And when it is not coming to me, I could no more write a song as build a car. And I thought, <laughs> that is it. It when is. That, when something is coming to me as a writer, I have something to write. But when nothing is coming to me, when I'm trying to do it on my own, so to speak, it's like I've forgotten how to write. And all the craft in the world is of no help whatsoever. And that's the frame of mind you want to be in, where stuff comes to you. Mm -hmm. And it requires a level of focus, a way of trusting that I think a lot of people aren't used to living by. And that's what I coach them in. So it's like spiritual coaching, life coaching, but then craft coaching too, if they need it. I love it. And you touch on this in your podcast. Tell us about your podcast and the format and the formula that you follow. Sure. It's called Author to Author, the number two. And uh, Cliff, you were on last week. We tried to have you on. We're going to have you on again. Uh, my power went out. But it's, it's a conversation between me and another writer. And the, the you know, I say at the beginning of every one of these podcasts, what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. I am interested in what it takes to sit down and look at a blank page and say, what do I want to put there? So that's the conversation we have. It's not usually so much about the novel they wrote and the characters and so on. It's not, I don't focus on the sort of crafty side of writing. And I usually don't presume that the listeners have read the book. But I want to just talk to them about what it is to make something on purpose and mm -hmm. what that is like. And, and that is always, to me, interesting. And I think useful for people, whether they are writers or not. Because mm -hmm. everybody would like to learn how to create a life on purpose as opposed to just sort of, you know, that great old talking head song uh, where he says, this is not my beautiful house. This house? Is not my how did I get here? Well, a lot of people ask themselves, how did I get here? Well. As a writer, you have to learn how to get where you want to, where you, you have to follow something that will lead you where you want to be, where you want to go. And I think the creative process that is the looking at a blank page where nothing's going to happen until you make a choice, like yeah. it's just blank. You can't blame anybody but you for what's on that page. And if right. you can start to look at your life that way, it's hard because it looks like it's filled with stuff. 
because there's all these people and buildings and cars and jobs and noise. But the truth is, it's kind of a blank page. And if you can start seeing it that way, you can start creating on purpose rather than accidentally. And that's really the focus of the piece. Whether the people on the show who come on the show know that's what we're going to talk about or not, <laughs> that's the focus. I love that, man. You make my job so easy. Now, <laughs> you, you mentioned a book out now and a book on the way. Yeah. What books, what, what's the collective Bill Knauer? Like, what books do you have out? That well, people- not that many. I've got, oh, I can't hold them up. This is, we, I write within yourself, an author's companion. That's a collection of short essays. I write two to three essays a week for Author Magazine. For a while, I did five a week, but I don't do that many now, <laughs> about the writing creative process. So that's a, a collection of essays. Fearless Writing. Uh, How to Create Boldly and Write with Confidence. That came out from Writer's Digest books a few years ago. And then I've got coming out from Penguin, um, uh, Everyone Has What It Takes. There is a novel (laughs) out there called One Year in Jeopardy. I don't know if you can find it, but it was published in 2000. Also, under my name, strangely, but there it is. There are a number of role-playing adventures that I wrote also for one of which, some of which actually won awards. So that's another sort of uh, side gig I have going that going way back to the early 2000s. Right. But that is not the focus of these conversations. Here. No, 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 no. But, I'm not, I, but my focus is to make sure that I put the focus on you, brother. So that's what we're doing. Thank here. you. <laughs> Bill Knauer, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the oh, show. You're you welcome. Are, you're absolutely amazing. And uh, we'll have to have you on again when the next book comes out so we can keep yes. a little data on what's going on with you. Is that yeah. Cool? I look forward to it. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this month's Dante's Old South. We look forward to seeing you next time. Y'all stay true out there and keep safe. I'm Clifford Brooks, and you are a miracle. Good night.